Father Paul instructs the Corinthians not to go beyond what is written. Father, that is our prayer this morning. Like the Corinthians, all of us are tempted to think of things and think of ourselves and everything in the world beyond what you have revealed. We, are, we freely think what we want to think. Father, our misery and our, and, our, and our slavery lies in the fact that we go beyond what is written. We pray that you reveal the glory of your word, that you persuade us of the efficacy of your word, that you will not leave us be, but you will persuade and sanctify and prune through these words. All these things in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I didn't know there was sarcasm in the Bible. First Corinthians chapter 4 is all sarcasm. It's interesting. That doesn't mean sarcasm isn't, isn't good, but we'll, dis- we'll discover why Paul is being so sarcastic. All right, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, I mean, we're studying Corinthians, obviously, and, and Paul, Paul is addressing, like, as you know, um, the various issues of the Corinthian church, the various problems that the Corinthian church is having. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul is, Paul is addressing the underlying problem of all their problems. Right? So the Corinthians are slanderers, they're sexually immoral, they're idolaters, yada, yada, yada. But in chapter 4, Paul is look, looking at the underlying root cause of all their problems. The underlying root cause of all their problems is spiritual blindness. What is blindness? Blindness means, first of all, you, you, when you're blind, you don't see things clearly. You don't see things as they are. For a dude who wears glasses, I know that's true. It doesn't mean I can't see anything sometimes. Just sometimes I just can't, without my glasses, I can't see things as they are. Spiritual blindness is they're not able to see things as they are. Another another definition of spiritual blindness is not only do you not see things the way they are, you just don't see important things at all. I think I, I almost died a couple of weeks ago because I think after a small group, I think Brooke's small group, like I was making a left, and at night I just can't see. So I, ma- I made a left, and I, th- I almost made a left to the, uh, to the ongoing flow of traffic. It was good that it was like 11 o'clock. It's good that that small group ended late, otherwise I, w- I would have died. I just, didn't, I just couldn't see the lane. Sometimes when you're, spirit- when you're blind, you just can't see things. Being spiritually blinded means you can't see the important things. Namely, you can't see God. Spiritual blindness, the, under the, the root issue with spiritual blindness is you just can't see God. And because you can't see God, you can't really fully see anything else. Because scripture tells us that it is only when you see God, you have proper perspective of all things. To be in the light means to see things as they are, to frame things in the light of how God created it. That's what it means to be in the light. Scripture says Jesus is the Logos. He is the the Word. He is the wisdom of God. He is the foundation of truth. 1 John chapter 1 also says Jesus Christ created all things. Colossians says in whom we live and move and have our being. All these verses basically means is he's the one who frames all things. And in him, all things have their proper meaning. If you don't see him, it's like me seeing things without my glasses. You just can't see things as way they are. When you see things as way they are, and when you see things in light of how God sees it, your, your heart finds shalom, peace, and, your, and, you, and you have this sense of flourishing and life to you. The best example I can give you is like this week, right? I love my commutes, right? I, I love my drive to D.C., and I love congestion. But it just gives me more time to pray. I'm so holy. So, so, so like, my commutes are very dramatic. I praise, I cry, I yell. Like, it's, it's very dramatic. I think when people look at me, they'll think, I'm, they, they'll think I'm crazy. But the beauty of worshiping God in your car is he makes you see things. And the thing that he made me see in my car this week was how awesome my job is. For those of you who know me for a long time, my, sermon, my main sermon motif in 2019, 2018, 2019, was how horrible my job was. I complained numerous times how horrible my job was. That was my sermon, go-to sermon illustration in the last two years. 
But this week, God showed how awesome my job was. Why is my job awesome? Because I get to do what he does. My job as a lawyer, I defend people. I do. I really do. I write petitions and I defend people. Just like Christ defends me. I counsel people. I have, like, within the course of four hours, I get 60 emails. That's like 20 emails an hour. I do. And they are just constantly bombarding me with questions, and I get to counsel them. Sometimes email is not enough. They want to call. And when I call them, they feel so grateful because I give them answers they're seeking. I get to counsel them. I get to counsel them just as Christ counsels me. I get to defend people. I get to argue people. I get to, not argue, argue on behalf of people. I get to counsel them just like he does with me. I'm following him. When I, saw, when I start seeing my job as me following him, my job turned into something that is awesome. Yesterday I was at a legal clinic. I get to help the poor. Right? Just like he helped the poor. I get to trace my steps after him. My job, start, I start to see within the frame of who he is. Praise the Lord for my job. My job is awesome. More awesome than yours. I mean, it's easier for me, right? Because it, it's a legal profession. I serve people. And it is something that is great. So when I complain my job again, please remind me of my own sermons here. You see how it works? When you frame things in the light of who Christ is, it's life. In, in, during, the, during the premarital counseling session, there's like three couples are getting married. I'm doing two marriage, premarital counseling to two, two couples. It's crazy busy, but it's really great. And in the marriage session, right, we're, we're talking about, we're defining things. We're defining what marriage is. We're defining what love is. We're defining what commitment is. We're defining what sex is. We're defining what men and women are. We're, de- we're spending time defining how God sees things. And God is, has used those premarital sessions, premarital counseling sessions, to bring life into the couple that I'm marrying. Some of them aren't here. That's good. When they first came to the counseling session, they had a certain thoughts about marriage. But through those five counseling sessions, their mind expanded. They're both now excited to get married and afraid. And that's a good thing to be, right? You should be excited and yet afraid to get married. And yet hopeful that God's going to work in their marriage. And it's filled with all those things. Why? Because they're framing their marriage in the light of who God is, in the light of how God intended it. Are you framing things? In the light of who God is, are, you, are your thoughts following after his thoughts? Do you define things the way he defines things? The problem with the Corinthians was they weren't defining things the way God was defining them. The way they saw Paul and Apollos, they weren't framing the way that God framed it. The way they see themselves, they weren't framing themselves in the light of who God, how God framed it. That's why they were delusionally crazy. The reason why Paul was so sarcastic to them and rebuking them was that they were crazy. They had a crazy delusion of who they were. Crazy delusion because they're not framing things the way God intended it. They're not thinking after God's thoughts. Guys, most practical. Do you have joy in your life? Do you have the sense of mission and purpose and meaning in all the things that you do? Especially your job. Do you have it? My argument is, it isn't because your job stinks that you're not finding meaning in your job. I don't think it is. It's because you're not framing it in the light of who he is. Do you know? When you think his thoughts after him, The most menial job can be the most glorious of jobs. But when you don't frame things the way he thinks, the most important job becomes the most draining job. Do you think thoughts after him? Do you frame things in light of who he is? Or are you like the Corinthians? Paul is telling them, do not go beyond what is written. Right? That's what it says, right? What verse does it say that? 
verse 6, I think. He says, do not go, I'm teaching you, do not go beyond what is written. What is going beyond what is written? He's saying, do not go beyond what is revealed by God through his word. Do not interpret things beyond what God has said that they are. God has, we believe, we're a Reformed church, and we believe God has spoken. And he, his revelation, it is in his word. The word that we need to know about life, about him, about everything, is revealed in God's word. Paul is saying, interpret all things through the revealed word of God. Do not go beyond it. Do not interpret things beyond it. The Corinthians were doing that, especially in their view of Paul and Apollos. Paul has a very sobering, objective understanding of who he is and who Apollos is, right? Like last week's sermon, Paul looks at himself as a servant of Christ. And we talked about what that servant of Christ means. Servant means, you know, typically it was used to describe the slave underneath the boat, where they just roll. They don't know where they're going. They just are faithful and rolling. Paul says, I'm a servant of Christ. I'm a slave for Christ. Objectively, I'm a, menace, I'm a steward of his word. It's not my word that I teach. It's his word that he gave to me that I teach to you. Paul says, I am nothing. Apollos is nothing. I just sow God's word. Apollos watered it. God makes it grow. Paul has a very objective understanding about his position with God. That is what God's revealed will teaches him. The truth about Paul is that he is nothing, Paul says. He's just a man. But the Corinthians were going beyond this definition of who Paul was. And they started to idolize him and Apollo. We do that all the time, don't we? We idolize things. We look at things beyond what is written, beyond what God has intended them to be. And this is especially true. Any of you dating right now? No, right? Okay. For those of you who are dating, you know this. You know what it means to idolize someone. You know what it means when you're first dating, when you're first in love. You think that dude... Right? Or that woman, do that? That dude or do that? It's, it, 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 they're like, I don't know, they hold the key to your heart or something. You think that that person is the most special person ever. And you cannot, you cannot imagine living without that person. You're crazy. She's just a priest. They're just human beings, you know? I'm afraid that when you guys are doing that, right? Like, my daughter, for example. She has friends. She's 11. And they're all, like, starting to talk about dating and stuff. They are. And then, like, my, 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 my daughter tells me, guess what, Dad? One of my best friends broke up with her boyfriend. They're 11. And I said, oh, no. What are they going to do? Not have lunch together anymore? You know what I mean? So mean. So mean. But it's true. But you guys are laughing because you know how silly it is. But to that 11-year-old girl, that guy, that really pale-looking dude with ginger hair, he's like the love of her life or something, and she's devastated by it. You laugh, but that's exactly what we do. We go beyond the meaning of things all the time, don't we? We idolize people, we, we, we idolize stuff, we idolize our jobs, we idolize our kids. Our kids, God bless them, I love my children, they're the greatest in the world. But we, some parents act as if their kids are like, I don't know, the most glorious thing, and like they need to like do their best to, like I don't know, make their kids shine. Dude, your kids won't care about you when, when they get married and when they go to college, well, after they get married. I mean, they have to go to college and then marry. But they're not, they're not gonna, you're not going to be their primary thing when they're, like, when, they're, when, they, when they're older. We give more meaning to, their, to our kids than they deserve. We do this all the time. Paul says, get a grip, people. 
do not go beyond what is written. Do not, do not infuse meaning to things that are not just not there. Paul says, look at me and Apollos as what we are, mere servants. We are no more or no less than that. Do not look at your boyfriend or girlfriend for what they are, merely humans. They are no more, no less than that. Do not look at your job for more than what they are. they are. They are means to which God has called you to serve the world. They are not meant to define you as a human being. It, it, do not go beyond what is written. Paul says, you must learn to do that. Right? That's what he says in verse 6. He says, I have applied all these things to myself and Paul, Apollos, which means an objective understanding of who they are for your benefit. Brothers, that you may learn by us. Paul is saying, I am framing myself and Apollos in the light of truth so that you will learn how to frame all things in the light of truth. Framing all things in the light of who God is, it doesn't come naturally to us. It doesn't. Therefore, we must learn from it. We must learn. We must strive to learn, to think of things, to think, of th to think our thoughts after God's thoughts. Look, this week, like President, we and I are discussing about things, and there was a topic that we're discussing, and I was obsessed with this topic that we're discussing, not because I want to better up as Rudin or not, but I genuinely wanted to know what God has to say about this topic. So I read his word. I, 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 I searched after commentaries. I, I, I tried to understand what God's will, God's will was about this topic. I was striving. I did not trust my understanding of this topic. Right? This topic that we're discussing, I have an initial impression of what this topic was, but I didn't trust my understanding of that topic. So I sought after his word. I talked to people about it. I discuss things with other people about it, to learn to frame this issue in the light of who God was, in the, in, the, in the light of the revealed truth of Scripture. That is what you must do, fellow Christians. The way you, you must learn to frame everything in your life, not based upon your prejudice and bias and preset thoughts, but always strive to put those thoughts, put those issues underneath God's word to see what God has to say about that subject. Husband and wives, seek after to think God's thoughts about your spouse. It is very easy for us to be biased against our spouse. It is very easy to think that what I think about my spouse is the truth. It is very easy for us to do that. But God says, do not rely upon your biases. Do not rely upon your preset prejudices about what your spouse is. Learn to submit your definition of your spouse underneath God's word. Young people, those who are looking for your career, I know you think the career is the, uh, the purpose of your living, and maybe jobs are important, but you must learn, especially if you're starting out in your career, to submit your plans for your career underneath God's word. You may think that you want to do certain things, and maybe that's all good. But search what God has to say about it. You must learn. I must learn how to interpret all things, not through my own biases, but through the revealed will of God. Paul says, you must learn. We must learn. Understand your opinions of things are not the truth. Do not act as if they are. Learn to be humble before his word. Corinthians, because they weren't relying upon God's word, they had a puffed up vision of who Paul and Apollos was. Were, I'm sorry, bad grammar. Not only that, because they were going beyond what is written, they had a puffed up, self-delusional understanding of who they are. That's what verse 7 is about, right? For who sees anything different in you? If you trans the NASB 
translates this as meaning, I have it right here, one second, one second. I know you guys love it when I do this. NASB says, for who sees anything differently in you, if you, if you translate it another way, it means whose is regarding you as superior. Verse 7, Paul is asking the Corinthians a rhetorical question. He's saying, who says you are superior? Which implies that the Corinthians, Corinthians thought that they were superior. Right? They have issues, right? They were sexually immoral, they were prideful, they were divisive, they were angry, they were, they, they were a hot mess. But they didn't see that. They thought they were superior. Why? Because they are seeing themselves not in the light of what was revealed about them, but they, had a, they saw themselves in a self-delusional kind of a way. Self-delusion. Thinking yourself more important than you ought or underthinking your value. Just thinking about you all the time. That's self-delusion. And all of us are guilty of self-delusion. We think our opinions are worth more than they ought. We think, some of us are like Donald Trump. That we are, there's nothing wrong with us. Right? Donald Trump, God bless him. Right? President of the United States, we love our president. But man, he has no internal dialogue. What he thinks is true, he just like plows it through. He sees nothing wrong with his tweets. He's like, I'm fascinated by him, of how there is no internal understanding of who he is, about how he thinks whatever he thinks is right. Didn't he say like that he's like the expert in the coronavirus or something? It's crazy. God bless him. Self-delusion. But Bernie Sanders is delusional too, right? What's wrong with the world are billionaires and like, Private health insurance, that's what his thing is, right? All of us are suffer from self-delusion. We don't see ourselves as we are. Whether you're, self whether you're pridefully delusional like Trump is, or whether, you're whether you, are a, you're, you are a teen who is so depressed because you think you're worthless. Suicide rate among teenage girls are up tremendously, right? As hurtful as that is, that's also very delusional, isn't it? No one loves me. I'm not loved. No one understands me. My life has no meaning. There's, there's no hope in me. There's no hope to life. That's delusion, too. Whether you are, don't want to offend, but whether you are a person of, who thinks that you're born in a different gender than you are, as painful as that is, I would imagine, that's delusion too. We live in a world where we think delusion is the truth. Yesterday I was riding my Peloton and my instructor told me that I'm a cupcake. What? I'm just right. I go, what? He's saying what I think about myself is true. And I said, shut up. As I, was, as I was running around, all the Peloton instructors are preachers. We live in a world where we celebrate our delusion. Corinthians thought that they were really important, that they were spiritually mature, that they were better than other people. Paul says, get a grip. You're insane. The reason he's so harsh to them in these verses is because they're insane. They lose all objective understanding of who they are. How does Paul try to cure them of their delusion? How does Paul re rebuke them? So verse 7, Paul, said, Paul is saying, who, who told you that you are superior? And the way he addresses them is, what do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? How would Corinthians get a grip in their delusion? by Paul reminding them of the generosity and the grace of God. Paul is saying, you guys are think, you think you're so, so important and so, so significant. I'm asking you, Corinthians, if you think you're all that, did you achieve anything that you are? 
anything that you have, did you really get it on your own, Paul says? You think you're very superior to others. But Corinthians, think about, what do you have that you did not receive from God? People of delusion of self-importance. Did you not receive all things from God? For those who are tempted about boasting in what they have and who they are. Who gave you those things? It doesn't, don't everything that we have come from the hand of God? One of my favorite words as an attorney, I love the word agent. Agent is someone who acts. There's the agent, not Asian, agent, and the beneficiary. Paul is saying God is the agent. He acted, you received. Therefore, there's no boasting. There's no boasting about what you are. If you're boasting that you're beautiful, who gave you those looks? If you're Korean, plastic surgeon is in Gangnam. But for those of you who are natural beauties, like all of you, who gave you your natural beauty? For those of you with impressive careers, who gave you that job? Remember when you were applying for that job that you have right now? That, that's really important. Remember when you were applying for that job and you were wishing and praying that God's going like, to, that, that, that you're going to get a call from the interview? And if you get a call from the interview, you feel so good, you think you got that job, right? That's what happens. When we get an interview, we think we got that job. But then after the interview, we don't feel good. And we're, we're very nervous. And when we get it, we're so happy. That moment, you know that you didn't get that job on your own. God gave it to you. For those of you with impressive jobs, who gave it to you? For those who are married, God bless you, but who gave you your spouse? I love our married folks. I'm so encouraged. Whenever I looked at it, I just, I just bring, you guys bring a smile to my face. Who gave you your spouse? Who is making your marriage flourish? God did. But most importantly, for those who are Christians, why are we Christians? Why are we worshiping the one true God? Is it not because God sent his only son to die in our stead to, so that we can be redeemed for himself? Oftentimes when I talk to Christians, we're just surprised. We always, like, sometimes when I meet Christians, like, the conversation flows, and we, like, I, we all, like, I always say, I don't know how unbelievers live. Like, it's, it's just, I don't know how they live without this understanding of God. And I, and I say that to the people, person that I'm talking to, and that person goes, yeah, I have no idea how unbelievers live. I have no idea how unbelievers do marriage. I have no idea how unbelievers raise kids. I have no idea how unbelievers navigate the difficulties of life. I have no idea how they do it. We don't have to ask that question because we know God. And how do we know God? Because God gave us his son. What do you have that you did not receive? preaching? Like this, this gift that I have? Is it because I, I, I got a PhD in preaching? It's simply I see things the way God wants me to see it. That's all that, that it is. Musical gifting? Who gave you the musical talent? Everything comes from the hands of God. If you truly understand it, how would you boast? How would you have a puffed-up understanding of who you are? Corinthians forgot all about this. When Paul preached the gospel to them, they understood, but their understanding of the gospel remained shallow. And because it remained shallow, they forgot that all things, especially their salvation, come from the hand of God. And when you forget that your salvation comes from the hand of God, you become delusional. And these dudes were crazy delusional. And that's what verse 8 is about. Verse 8, Paul says, Already you, you have all you want. Already you have become rich without us. You have become kings. What Paul is getting at through this through these verse is, he's saying, Corinthians, you think you're spiritually perfect. Corinthians thought that they were spiritually perfect. They were. They did. 
To understand what they were thinking, you need to understand the kingdom of God. Jesus, by coming to this world 2,000 years ago, he ushered in God's kingdom. He brought God's kingdom to us 2,000 years ago. And ever since his death and resurrection, the kingdom of the, the, the people, the, are, the world is divided into two people, those who belong to God and those who, who are outside of God. And for those of us who belong to God, our position with God is eternal. When we have saving faith in Jesus Christ, we become sons of God, and that position does not change. Even though that position doesn't, will never change, we are still living in this world. We will be fully realized of, realize ourselves, right? Glorified sons of God. That full revelation will come after this world ends and when Christ comes back. Yes, there's a certain aspect to us that is eternal, that is set in stone. Who we are in God is set in stone, is for all eternity. But the full realization of what we are, we will see when Christ comes back. That is called the already and not yet doctrine. We are already God's children, but the full realization of what we will be will be realized when Christ comes back. Be ready and not yet. No one taught this to me when I was in youth group, by the way. Such a good pastor. But the problem with the Corinthians were they thought they didn't believe in already and not yet. They thought they already arrived. They thought they're glorified. They were, right now, their, their lives in this world were their glorified position. They thought they didn't have to wait for God, Christ to come back to fully realize who they are. They think that they're already there. To, get, to get, illustrate this point to you, there, there are cults in this world, right? Not, not even cults, they're like crazy Christians. I, hear, I meet time to time, they say, I don't sin anymore. I go, what? Christ, after I accepted Christ, I don't sin anymore. I go, you're crazy. It's true Christ rescued that dude from his sins. It's true. The power of sin is no longer his master. And yet he sins in this world while we live. He doesn't think so. He says, I have overcome sin. You're delusionally crazy. Corinthians were delusionally crazy. They thought they reached reached spiritual perfection. Them, you know, them who are fighting about who Paul is, who Apollos is, them who are sexually immoral. Like, Pastor, we're just going to talk about it in a couple of weeks of us, their sexual immorality. Pastor, we think it's all the sex sermons. I don't know why. But like, you know, they, they were engaged in all these sexually immoral, like, active behaviors. They were fighting. They were prideful, right? They were, like, suing each other. And yet, in their minds, they were spiritually perfect. Clearly, they're not. Clearly, they're messed up. Clearly, their church is divided. And yet, they thought, I'm spiritually perfect. That's what Paul means when he said, you have already all you want. Which means you think that you've reached the, the, the pinnacle of spiritual maturity. You already have become rich. You think that God has given you everything, like God's power belongs to you. You without us, you become kings. Which means you think that you reign now. Are you crazy, Corinthians? Paul says, that's not how I see myself. You may think that you've already arrived. But I don't see myself that way. Verse 9, Paul says, For I think that God has exhibited us as apostles as a last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. What he's saying in verse 9 is this, Corinthians, you think that you received the pinnacle of your spiritual maturity. That is not how I view myself. I view me and the fellow apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death. The image that he had in his mind is this. He sees himself like, um, have you guys seen the movie, movie Gladiator? Right, Russell Crowe? Like Roman Colosseum, right? So what happens in Roman Colosseum is, because they didn't have like Netflix and stuff, people want to be entertained, right? They want to have stories and they want to be entertained, right? And so the way the Roman people got entertained was, people go, go to the Colosseum, which is their movie theater, and they enact stories of great victories in the past. And so there's a hero, the gladiator. Right? There's a hero of the story. And the whole Colosseum thing was they, put, they dragged slaves out. 
And that gladiator enacts the great victories of the past by literally killing the slaves. Paul is saying, that is how I see myself. I'm not, I didn't reach the pinnacle of anything. Right now, Paul says, for me and the apostles, the servants of Christ, we are just sent, God sends us to be spectacled, to be spit at, to be ridiculed, to be insulted for the sake of his gospel. I don't know about you, Corinthians, but for me, I'm a dead man walking for the sake of Christ. Who has a more objective understanding of who they are? Paul or the Corinthians? Corinthians, something they were all so spiritually mature. Paul certainly didn't think of him that way. Verse 10, Paul says, We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. Paul says, Not only am I a dead man walking for the sake of the gospel. I am a fool. Because Paul knows that the gospel of Jesus Christ is absolute nonsense to the world, the people will call him a fool. The Corinthians thought that they were so wise that they knew everything. Paul thinks, I am weak. We are weak, he says. Weak means he knows that he cannot do anything apart from God. He, he knows he can't. He knows that he is on the mercy of his Lord. And therefore he prays, and therefore he leans, and therefore he depends. Corinthians said they were strong. How do you know that the Corinthians thought that they were strong? Their lack of prayer. The way they were delusional is because they weren't praying, and they weren't praying because they thought that they were strong. By the way, your lack of, our lack of prayer is the clearest indication whether we think we're wise and whether we think we're strong. Paul says that you are held in honor. Paul basically it means, Paul, Paul says, Corinthians, you want to be relevant to your culture. You want to say to your culture, I am important. Paul says, I'm not important. The world doesn't think I'm important. The world gives me disrespect. You see how delusion works? Corinthians thought that they reached the pinnacle of their spiritual maturity. They were strong and wise and rich. The problem of spiritual delusion, of thinking that you're spiritually mature, of thinking that you're strong, of thinking that you're wise, of thinking that you're honored, when you think that way, you don't follow Christ. You don't follow Christ. If we think we're so spiritually self-sufficient, how can, why will we follow Christ? If we're satisfied with our own perceptions, with our own wisdom, with our own plans to do things, why will we follow Him? That's what the Corinthians were doing. Maybe some of us are not as delusional as the Corinthians are. Maybe, I, I hope that you guys don't think that you guys reached the pinnacle of your spiritual maturity. But how they go about life, how they think about themselves, is very similar to how we think about ourselves. Let's be honest, shall we? Don't we think we're spiritually mature? No, I don't, Pastor Jay. Well, let's examine that. I recognize that we all think that we could pray more, we should pray more, and we should read the Bible more. And everyone agrees that that's true. But spiritual poverty is more than just doing spiritual things. It is, are we really, if, if, if we think that we're mature, if, if we know that we're not mature, we will constantly seek the advice of God. We will constantly seek Him. We will constantly start to learn from Him. We'll constantly strive to, like, you know, to change our thoughts and change our ways. We don't do that. We're perfectly okay with the way we think of things. 
We're perfectly okay in the way we feel about things. We're perfectly okay in our opinions of things. That's indication of spiritual pride, that we think that our spiritual, our souls are okay. We may think that we would need to do more of spiritual things, but all in all, we think that we're okay. May I say, reading the scriptures and praying is not just more about laziness. But not doing it is a reflection of your spiritual pride. You don't need to be taught. You don't need to be taught. Because you're okay. That's certainly how I start the morning. Is that how you start the morning? I'm okay not reading today because I got it. That's what you didn't recognize. The most blessed time in my life is when God tells me that I'm wrong. Oh, I love it when he tells me I'm wrong. Like, last week, I told you two weeks ago, I got called into HR again. And someone, like, <laughs> one of my paralegals knocked me out. And the paralegal was a fellow Christian. I go, oh. And you get, you get upset, right? But then God shows me through that certain ways that our talk to people are wrong. I go, oh. Before that incident, I thought there was nothing wrong with the way that I talked to people. But now I know. This week, as I was crossing the Arlington Memorial Bridge, right, Arlington Cemetery Hospital, I was like, I was crying. I was repenting so badly. Because he showed me things that are very ugly. That's horrible. And I felt so guilty. I haven't felt that guilty in such a long time. But that's also grace because he shows me how wrong I am. Does he show you how wrong you are? If you don't see how wrong you are, I'm really sorry to say, it's because I think you think that you're spiritually okay. I think we're delusional. We think we're wise. That's why we don't seek after God's, God's opinion, God's will. We think we're strong. That's why we don't pray. Jesus says, ask, seek, and knock. A life of a disciple is a life of constant petition and prayer. That's true. Jesus prayed more than anyone else. Paul prayed more than anyone else. Because he, they knew that without the intervention of the Father, they cannot get, nothing could get done. I'm sorry to say, our lack of prayer life is not about laziness as much as our thinking that we're strong, that we got it, that we can handle it. And if we think that we're strong and we think we can handle it, then we're not going to follow him. And we're not going to experience his power. In, we're not going to experience, we're not going to be able to see his power unfolding in our lives. Do you know for life of a Christian, you must see God's work. You must see the demonstration of your God's power in your life. You must. The Christian life is never, it was never designed to be this static, mundane, lifeless thing. If you're a child of God, you're in the sphere of his person. You're in the personal sphere of God. And when you're in the personal sphere of God, you will see him work. Paul says the kingdom of God is not about rhetoric. It is about power. You will see his power moving in your life. It's true. But the reason why we're not seeing his power being demonstrated in our lives is because we think that we're okay. It's because we think that we're wise enough, that we're strong enough. And that's why we don't follow. And when we don't follow, we will not see him move. We won't. Paul, in verse 11 Verse, verse 13, uh, verse 11 and verse 12 and verse 13. Paul says, To the present hour we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. We labor, working with our own hands. We are reviled. We, when we are reviled, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure. 
When slandered, we, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. What Paul is saying here is, he's talking about the consequences of following Christ. Because he followed Christ, he's hungry and he is poor. Because he's following Christ, he works really hard. By day, he builds tents. By night, he preaches. And, he, and the reward of all his work is people don't honor him. They think he's a scum of the world. But Paul can live like this because he's following Christ. He's loyal to Christ. And because Paul is following Christ and loyal to Christ, God is using him mightily. Paul can see the power of God because he's a follower of Christ. Are you the follower of Christ? Do you know that you can't live without him? You may say, yeah, but does your life show that you can't live without him? Lack of fellowship with him, lack of worshiping with him shows you that you think you're okay without him. And that's why you're not following. I pray as a body, I pray as your pastor, as your fellow brother, for God to see, God to make you see things clearly, objectively, so that you will not get puffed up, that you will not be self-sufficient, that you will not be prideful, but you'll be broken and you'll follow him. Let us pray. Are you living life thinking after God's thoughts, framing all things in the light of who he is and how he defines, how he defines it? Or are you living more or less the way you want to define it and the way the world defines it? Do you know that you're weak? Do you know that you're spiritually immature? Do you know that you're not strong? Does your life show it? Or are you like the Corinthians who frame all things in the way they want to see it? who are living in the self-delusion of self-sufficiency, strength, and pride. Are you following Christ? Does your life show that you're following Christ, that you need Christ? If not, it's because I think you're spiritually blind. Ask for spiritual sight. Ask that you may learn how to look at things through his light and not your own. Learn, that, pray that the Holy Spirit will testify Jesus Christ in your heart and your life so that you will see how helpless you are and how mighty he is. For these things, let us pray. Father, we confess as a body of Christ that more often than not, we still remain very blind to a lot of things. We spend our lives giving value to things that are not worth valuing. We spend our lives overvaluing things that do not deserve such high value. And yet we ignore the very thing that matters the most, which is you. It's strange how, a how people of God should live, that, that we overvalue the world and we so undervalue you. We overvalue our work, our children, our relationships. We overvalue our fears, our plans. But we so undervalue you. And because of it, we don't see things clearly. And because we don't see things clearly, we're self-delusional, we're prideful, we have a very misunderstanding of our abilities. And because we're blind, Father, there's no life in us. There's no satisfaction in us. There is always just this perpetual hunger. Father, we confess that we're not followers of Christ like Paul is. Paul only knew the importance of the gospel, and Paul knew that it is only the gospel that is power. 
He's willing to, he was willing to die for you, was hunger for you, sacrifice his life for you because he was convinced that Christ is power. I'm afraid that we don't have that kind of conviction. We live in a perpetual state of self-sufficiency, self-wisdom, self-understanding. And that is why, Lord, that there is no fruit of the Spirit in our lives. But we want to thank you for your word. We want to thank you for Paul's correction to the Corinthians because through it you are correcting us. Father, it is our prayer that you will make us see things clearly. Use your word to make us see things clearly. And as we see ourselves clearly, make us see, Lord, that we are amazingly loved and cherished people because of, your, because of what you have done for us. And may that understanding of the gospel lead us to us to more trust you in all areas of our lives. Father, make yourself plain and clear to us, we pray. Father, we pray. We live in a scary world. We live in a world of diseases and bacteria and, 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 and people, and, and the world is afraid of this virus. Father, we pray for our health. We pray for protection. But we also pray, Lord, that, that, that you will be with the researchers to help find a cure for this disease, for, the, for this virus. We pray, Lord, for the, all the relationship in our lives, whether they be a relationship between our spouses or our children or our employers. We pray that you will allow us to see all these relationships in the light of who you are so that these relationships can become fruitful. We pray, Lord, that may you convict us of our sin and may that conviction allow us to lead us to repentance and a, and a, life, and a, and a life that has changed for you. Father, we pray for your continual leading. All this in Christ's name we pray. Amen.